Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Uh, we are recording this on July 20th. It's been a rough morning. If you caught the emergency Cam Akers pod, you can hear me in a much more depressed tone over on that one. But I've gotten over it, kind of. I've moved on. I've at least accepted there are other things to accomplish today. As always here on the Wednesday edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, I am joined by my dear friend, co-worker, co-host, Raven Wilcom, Mr. Andrew Erickson. Andrew, sorry about your Cam Akers shares, man, but today is still a great day to be great. Yep, just, you know, the Cam Akers shares in, in best ball, those teams are dead, but I know that I we were talking about Daryl Henderson as a potential backup running back to target, and it's for this reason, because injuries happen. Again, we're entering the season now where it's kind of a war of attrition. You know, guys get hurt during training camp, and we're going to see people rise up boards as players get hurt, so you got to stay up to the news, and you got to take chances on some of these players with high upside in the later rounds of drafts. I kind of wish with these injuries, man, we just had like an industry-wide like 24-hour grieving period because I always <laughs> I always feel yeah. like a dick when I'm talking about, you know, Daryl Henderson 10 minutes after the Akers injury. And I, you know, with the exception of one guy who we don't need to call out, like everyone was, you know, I don't think anyone was victory lapping the injury uh, too much on Twitter or anything. But, man, it's like, yeah, I want to mourn over Cam Akers a little bit too. But this industry we're in, Andrew, it's uh, awfully minute by minute these days. Yep, uh, they need the news. They need the updates with you know because you got to move on, and it's again NFL not for long. So that is that that is our life in fantasy football. <laughs> we always have something to talk about, I guess. And today we certainly do. We're going to continue our team preview series with a look at the AFC South. Andrew and I last week touched on the NFC South. We're just going to keep flipping back and forth NFC AFC. Who knows what uh, you know directional division is going to be next? You'll have to find out this Friday. But we're going to jam these out. Uh, we'll get back to kind of our usual you know news centered podcast when there's a little bit more news to go over in training camp preseason time. So without further ado, we're going to go through the AFC South as usual. We're going to go through the defining question for every team, the most underutilized player, favorite fantasy value pick, the wild card scenario, and finally our pick for the over under. So Andrew, how about you kick things off the Houston Texans? What is your defining question for this? Just potentially all-time atrocious squad can we start anybody on this offense i think it's the most appropriate question to ask when you're looking at the houston texans and i think that you can i think there are some players here there are some good values that i think you can find with the texas offense because look it's still an offense that's going to throw the ball a lot look they didn't change their offensive coordinator from last season it's still tim kelly and last year they were number one in pass play rate and that's probably going to be where they are again next year because their defense can't stop anybody Again, it's not going to be nearly as an explosive offense as they were last year with Deshaun Watson, potentially him not being there. So that's one of the issues, obviously, but that's baked into all the prices of these players. But if Tyrod Taylor is a starter, you know, that's the one thing he's been good at during his NFL career is throwing the ball downfield. 9.8 average depth of target ranks fifth in the NFL since 2015. And in the one game he started this year or last year, he threw the ball downfield. You know, Mike Williams saw over 160 air yards. He had six 20-plus yard throws, 10.8 yard A dot. So if Tyra Taylor's under center, again, I don't know how long that's going to be. If they'll start him for half the year, Davis Mills are probably going to get some looks at him as well. But if Taylor's in there and they're losing by a lot, like he's going to chuck the ball. Like he's going to throw it downfield and someone's going to try to catch it. 
you said players. I think the right word might be player because if Tyrod's under center, we can get one. I understand we're not going to have anything resembling this high-octane passing attack that Watson has been fielding. Taylor, you know, in those three years with Buffalo where he started 14, 15, and 15 games, the most passing yards he had was 3,035. So, no, we're not going to get multiple fantasy-relevant receivers if Taylor's under center. But we'll see, man. I think the best-case scenario is actually probably Davis Mills uh, winning this job because Tyrod, you know, as great as he was back in the mid-2000s, like we even saw that last year, man. He wasn't even running in the week one game as much as we kind of would have expected. Just the one-game sample size. I know Tyrod's still a mobile guy. He is going to be 32 in August, and I just think that he does, and you've done great research on this that I you know, reference nearly every other, every, every other article. Mobile QBs, as great as that is for themselves, and we talk about the Konami code QBs and all that, it just it hurts the receivers because they don't get as many targets. It hurts their running backs because even though they get higher yards per carry efficiency, they don't get as many targets, and they ultimately have to share another essential, essentially a running back added to their committee. So Tyrod, maybe if he's the full 16-17 game starter, maybe uh, the artist formerly known as T-Mobile could get going a little bit, but I think ultimately Davis Mills being there would be better for everyone. For entertainment value, Andrew, I want Jeff Driscoll to be under center because if you guys haven't watched this guy play, I've comped him to a homeless man's version of the 2018-2019 version of Josh Allen. Like, this dude loves throwing downfield. He's athletic enough to run, and he just does not give a single F half the time. And because of that, we just end up with an entertaining QB who's not necessarily good. But, Andrew, I want my QBs to make me perk up when they're on red zone. That's why I'm a Drew Locke stand, man. I think Driscoll could provide that if he somehow wins the job. You know, yeah, the red zone flips to Jeff, Jeff Driscoll, and you know, okay, something's going to happen right now. It's not going to be an incomplete pass. It's either going to be a pick six, a touchdown, some fumble option play. It's going to be crazy. So, yeah, I get that for sure. But, yeah, the answer to which, you know, one of these quarterbacks, uh, the Texans should probably be wanting to start this year might just be no. Andrew, let's move right along to the most underutilized player. Who is it and why is it your guy who you came on this very podcast and stand a couple weeks ago, tight end Jordan Akins? It's not Jordan Aikens oh. because, because for that reason, because I, I thought I really sold him a lot on a previous podcast. I do really like Jordan Aikens a lot, but I'll reference him a little bit later on. The player I actually picked here was David Johnson. And the reason I kind of looked at him as the most underutilized player is because running backs need volume to be successful in fantasy football. We talk about it all the time. And last year, the Texans were dead last in plays per game. So even though I think that they're going to throw a lot, I don't expect them to necessarily operate fast. They're going to be slower. And that's just going to eat into David Johnson's potential workload, along with the fact that there's three other running backs, Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead, Philip Lindsay, that are also potentially eating to touches. So if David Johnson was like the clear guy and we had we were getting like he's going to get a workhorse volume, then OK, we saw a bad team, James Robinson, last year. He got tons of volume on a really bad team. He was an RB1. That's not going to be the case here with David Johnson, as bad as the Texans are going to be probably next year. I don't see him getting that type of volume with all those other running backs involved. So that's a big issue for me. And that's why David Johnson is a guy that I don't think I've drafted one time. And he's like a 14th round pick. <laughs> and, and, and that's just absolutely crazy to think about that. We're not interested in a running back. That is the starting running back in the 14th round of a draft. But it's because we can all kind of read between the lines of that. It's, you're not going to have any fun rostering this guy whatsoever. 
Yeah, last year, I mean, he actually looked pretty damn spry in week one against the Chiefs. But as we saw the season progress a little bit, he just wasn't getting that featured every down roll when Duke Johnson was also healthy and doing his thing. Did come on very strong at the end of the year. I'm sure everyone in, you know, redraft fans, they'd already cut him by this point and whatnot. But last three games of the year against the Colts, Bengals, and Titans managed to go for over 100 total yards in three straight. If it was just coming back and it was David and Duke again, then maybe we could get behind David Johnson. The problem is we have not one, not two, but three additional members of this backfield that are going to get touches, seemingly. Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead, even Phillip Lindsay. So, yeah, David Johnson, I mean, even in the 2019 Arizona year, we still saw some good things from him as a receiver. Unfortunately, to your point, we're not going to get the volume that we're looking for out of our fancy asset. Andrew, is it now Jordan Aikens' time? Is he your favorite fantasy value pick here? No, he's, he's not my favorite fantasy it, okay. value pick either. It's, is it Nico? It's, Brand, it's, it's Brandon. Brandon Cooks. Good. It's Brandon we got the Cooks. same guy then. Same yeah, guy. It's, it's got to be Brandon Cooks because I think that, again, if you're not playing in like a 16-team league or whatever, like you're not going to be drafting Jordan Aikens necessarily just because he's going to be free. But like Brandon Cooks is really like the main guy that we should look at yeah. for the Houston Texans in terms of fantasy football because he's going really, really late. And it's because he just plays on a bad offense with the quarterback question marks. But look, I mean, everything that this guy has done has throughout his career has put up fantasy numbers. Again, he hasn't finished worse than wide receiver 16 since 2015. It was only because of an injury. Last year, we saw him in the wide receiver one role when Will Fuller got his suspension. 19.4 expected fantasy points per game, 28% target share over that span. So I don't see how he's not going to be peppered with targets in this offense with so many unproven receivers behind him. I know we really like Nico Collins as a rookie to kind of take on a larger role. I really like Jordan Akins to also take on a bigger role, but Cooks is the guy here in this offense. And again, if Davis Mills is under center, I think that's really good for Brandon Cooks, even if he doesn't necessarily see as many deep targets. Like Mills, his thing at Stanford, what he would always do was he would lock onto his first read like all the time. Like he was always going after his first read and that's going to be Brandon Cooks in his offense. He, he, led the, he led the team in first read throws last year. So I think Brandon Cooks is someone that, yeah, it's kind of gross. You probably don't want to watch the targets. He's going to have a lot of prayer yards, <laughs> the best way to put it. But he's going to eventually kind of stumble into production. He's going to stumble into good weeks. And he's going to be the player that everybody runs back on their on their DFS lineup stacks against the Texans. <laughs> For what it's worth, people, when I had a PFF's own lead college football analyst, Mike Renner, on this podcast for the draft, I asked him, outside of, you know, the big five first-round quarterbacks who could potentially excite you down the road, his answer was Davis Mills. This is a former five-star recruit who at Stanford just really, you know, because of COVID and some other stuff going on, wasn't able to really show his stuff for a full season's worth of snaps. So hopefully he's actually decent and he keeps locking on Brandon Cooks because the target share here is just too high to ignore everybody. I had an article go out this week about fantasy football's potential alpha target hogs going into next year. Basically, I just looked at every offense. I took our PFF projections. You needed to have a 20% target share. You needed to be at least 5% above the second highest guy in the team. Only nine wide receivers qualified. You're going to know a lot of them. Devontae Adams, Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen. Nobody disagrees that any of those guys should be top 12 receivers. And there is Brandon Cook sitting there. 21% projected target share, 6% above Randall Cobb. I understand that this guy has gotten to catch passes from Brady, Breeze, briefly a good version of Goff, and Deshaun Watson. Whoever is under center will be worse than all those guys, even maybe the bad version of Goff. But even like that, the bad year we saw him in 2018 or 2019, excuse me, 
Like, he played 14 games. He was a little hurt. And they were just using him as, like, their de facto field stretcher. Like, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were the top two receivers on that team. That's not the same case here. Like, it's not like we've seen Brandon Cooks get 150 targets and bust. He just wasn't being used enough in 2019 for him to meet his typical value. So, Brandon Cooks, like, I understand why he's not being drafted as the wide as a wide receiver, too. So you don't have to draft him as a wide receiver too. Go get him as a wide receiver four, and he might just give you that value that we know, and he's demonstrated time and time again, he can provide. Andrew, what's your wild card scenario for this Houston Texans team? That Nico Collins has a is actually like one of the best rookie wide receivers next year because he has an opportunity that not a lot of rookie wide receivers have to just have to step in and, and command a significant target share in their offense because we don't really know how he's going to fit. He didn't even play last, he didn't even play football last year because he opted out of the season, uh, his last college season at Michigan. So again, he's a really big wide receiver, six foot four and he's contested catch savant top in contested catch rate from 2018 to 2019. So he has a more of an alpha profile build than a Brandon Cooks player. So Brandon Cooks is much smaller. So it's not necessarily not something you're going to bet on, but if the two, the new quarterbacks like this big wide receiver on the outside a little bit more than maybe Cooks, who's more speed receiver, then we could see Nico Collins like stumble into like 100 targets as a rookie. Again, it's going to be probably pretty ugly. But again, there's so much opportunity in this Texans offense with all the other receivers that they have here. I think that it's interesting at least to say, you know, with Tyra Taylor, at least with the deep ball, he targeted big receivers, Mike Williams, six foot four, Hunter Henry, six foot five. And I think that it fits well with, with Collins' skill set. Again, they're going to have to be chucking the ball up. And Brandon Cooks isn't really someone that's going to... I mean, Brandon Cooks needs actually accurate targets, I would say, more or less than Nico Collins, who can kind of just go up and get the ball, which he might be doing a lot next year. We've talked about this wide receiver class throughout the offseason being just so small in general, and that's what kind of made Nico stand out to begin with. When I was trying to look at who the five-tool receivers could be in the class, I mean, Kyle Pitts was the only guy that checked every single box, and Devontae Smith, Waddle, Bateman, Elijah Moore, Jamar Chase, all these guys were just too small. They didn't have above 50th percentile height and speed combinations. Nico checked all those boxes. We just didn't have the production. Why? Watch a Michigan game for the past five years. Who knows what that offense has been trying to do? We saw it hold back Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, just as similarly, you know, a year before. So, Nico, while it could be ugly, it's a wide-open wide receiver depth chart. I'm with you, Andrew. I had written down that Philip Lindsay takes over the backfield and is, you know, good doing so. I don't know how that's really going to happen, though. I think yours is much more plausible, and I will give you the uh, hat tip on that one. I do think it just sucks for Lindsay, man because he's been the best running back in Denver, I think, for each of the past three seasons. We've still seen Freeman and Melvin Gordon just really making it more of a committee situation. I don't understand why he's only caught like 35 passes. I think that's, like, Philip Lindsay, it's one of those things where I think people just view him as a small back, and so people that don't really watch him will call him the scat back, even though he hasn't been catching passes. I don't think he's completely incapable of doing so, but, yeah, if David Johnson isn't getting hurt and then Ingram or Burkhead aren't getting hurt, I don't know how Lindsay takes the situation over even if he does, I mean, who's to say this won't just be a 21-point deficit by the second quarter, more weeks than not. Andrew, the over-under courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook, sitting at four. Four wins in a 17-game season. I can't even get myself to take the over there. Are you with me? Are we going under four wins? with Not much confidence, but over or under. Yeah, I'm going under. I'm not, yeah. I'm not betting on a team that's going to be starting Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills, who started like 17 games in his entire collegiate career. It's just It's not worth it. Again, you got to, I mean, if you're going to put money, your real life earned money on a team, I'm not putting it on the Texans. So, 
going to take the under. Yeah, give me the under there as well. I remember like just ridiculing their general offseason um, on a tweet, and someone responded like, Ian, you're looking at this totally wrong. They want to get the you know first pick for 2022, so they're doing everything possible to be as bad as possible. And I was like, well, got – Got my ass. Good point. <laughs> Moving right along, we are at the Indianapolis Colts. And I want to note one thing with this. A really good study from Jack Miller, who is over at Established the Run now. But he basically took all the kind of over-unders throughout the week uh, via you know, like the Vegas Super Contest, released it, or something like that. And per Vegas, which isn't necessarily we don't need to trust them 100%, but they're trying to make money. And I think over time, they're, it's their best interest. While they want you know reasonable action on both sides, I think they can make their most money by being, act, by being more accurate than the public. Anyway, the Colts came in as the fourth highest implied offense on the year. Obviously, though, Andrew, that you know rests on one guy and one guy only, Carson Wentz. Is your defining question whether or not Carson Wentz will still suck? Because that is sure mine. Yeah, I think that's really all that really matters here. And I think that the market's probably giving him a lot of credit with the Frank Wright connection, but last time I checked, Frank Wright doesn't actually play football. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, he doesn't actually play on the field where the guys actually make the plays. And again, look, coaches don't necessarily influence, like, efficiency as much as we all like. They, inf and they influence play calling and, like, pace, and those things matter, but for him to just kind of like, oh, sick, like, I got my coach back, now I'm just going to freaking turn back the clock to 2017, like, that's not happening. And I think one really reason to point it out that's really different, I think, about Wentz is if you look back at that 2017 offense, the Eagles did not run the ball at all. 31st in neutral game script run rate. They were first in air yards percentage, third in average depth of target, and fifth in deep ball rate. So it was basically like, okay, we're like slinging the ball downfield with Carson Wentz, and that was their strategy, and they were basically really good on third down, really unsustainable. A lot of We've done a lot of research about it on PFF, how it really wasn't something that Wentz was going to be able to sustain over the long term. And if you look at what Reich has done with his quarterback since then, it's really been more about lower A dots. You know, Philip Rivers last year posted his lowest A dot and lowest average time to throw since 2015, which was the last time he actually played in a Frank Reich offense. So we're going to see Wentz kind of dial it back in a little bit. And I think that's really for the best of this entire offense. Like last year, the problem was they started, they tried to keep going deep to receivers that number one, couldn't get open. And number two, an offensive line that couldn't protect Carson Wentz for more than three seconds. So that's why that offense crumbled last season. So I really think it's going to be more about a, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, more short game, quick screen passes around the line of scrimmage, utilizing the running backs in the passing game with Naeem Hines. So I think that the offense is not going to be nearly as explosive. And I think that limits Carson Wentz individual upside. But I do think that, yeah, he can probably be a lot better than he was last year because I don't think he's going to be asked to do nearly as much. I get the feeling that people just completely disregard what Phillip Rivers did for this team last year. 2020 Phillip Rivers averaged more yards per attempt on a higher adjusted completion rate with a lower turnover-worthy play rate and far fewer sacks taken than 2017 Carson Wentz. And that was the by far the best version of Wentz. So if we get something, which I don't think we'll get, I don't think we'll get the bad 2020 version of him either, but if it's something between 2018 and 2019, I don't know if we're going to see this be a top 10 ranked scoring offense. And again, I opened this up with Vegas, you know, pointing them to. So smart people that have a ton of money on the on the line with this are predicting them to continue to take a step up. I don't see them necessarily being a bottom 12 offense or anything. But, you know, we're going from a quarterback that at worst was above average last year to 
maybe the single worst quarterback last year if you you know really want to penalize him for all those turnover-worthy plays rates, uh, just play rates, whatever. I, I can't talk at this second, but you know what I'm trying to say. So, you know, just going from that difference, man, is so huge, and it goes to the running backs and Rivers, you know, being notoriously good at avoiding sacks because these veteran quarterbacks know who to get the ball to. When Jonathan Taylor scored that, like, 45-yard receiving touchdown where just nobody guarded him on fourth and four, everyone's going, oh, look how big and fast Taylor is in the open field. It's like, I don't know that Carson Wentz makes that pre-snap read and gets the ball to his wide-open guy in the same manner as Rivers. I think the ceiling is higher on Wentz. I'm not saying they shouldn't have, you know, rolled the dice with the Wentz trade or anything. I think it makes sense. But it's far from a given that we see this offense have the same sort of scoring upside. That's the other part about, uh, you know, the Saints situation when we talk about Going from Breeze, or going from Breeze to Taysom or Jameis, we tend to focus only on the targets for the running backs. When in reality, we should also be looking at the potential for the scoring upside to go down for everybody involved. Andrew, I got a fun guy here for the next one. I hope we're on the same page. Most underutilized player, and Paris Campbell doesn't count because he's been hurt. It's got to be Mo Ali Khan. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it's buddy. Be six foot five, two hundred sixty-seven pound tight end. False. He's bigger. I don't believe those. He's bigger. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. I like to call him by his real nickname, Big Mac. I think is really more appropriate of his of a nickname for him. And so the thing with him is he's been ridiculously efficient on limited opportunities. Finished 2020, fourth in yards per route run, second in catch rate, ninth in PFF receiving grade at tight end position. And look, we've seen Carson Wentz lean on the tight end position before. So if Mo Ali Cox actually has a legit role in this offense and they didn't really they did not resign Trey Burton. They have not. They have yet to trade for Zach Ertz at this point at this recording. So I think that Mo Ali Cox is kind of following the trajectory of a breakout tight end as a former basketball player, this huge athletic guy that is playing an offense that has usually treated 12 personnel and used that a lot in their offense. So Mo Ali Cox, again, there's not a lot of late round tight ends I really like. And I would say Mo Ali Cox is probably one of my favorites. One of my most proud moments as a fantasy analyst this offseason was moving Mo Ali Cox over my guy, Chris Herndon, as my number three <laughs> tight end in these best balls. Because that's really what Mo Ali Cox is. You're not drafting him in your redraft league with your friends. You're drafting him as like your third tight end when you didn't get an early one. And now you just need to kind of throw some darts. But I think he checks those boxes, man. No Trey Burton there. The million dollar question, or at least like maybe a couple hundred dollar question, and you know, our, with our tight end 23 or whatever we're talking about here, like will Kylan Grant who I believe that was their uh, fourth-round pick, is he going to be involved and make this a three-way committee? Because Jack Doyle, I think, is limited enough with what he does these days as a receiver. He'll siphon off, you know, a red zone touchdown or two, and it'll be annoying. But if Granson ends up basically replacing Trey Burton and making this a three tight end committee, that's rough. You know, I've already been saying here a lot, if you have, you know, more than two, if you even have two real life tight ends heavily involved in your offense, you usually have zero fantasy relevant ones. If we get to three, man, that's case closed. So last year it seemed like a tight end scored every single week. We just didn't know who it was going to be. If we can get down to two, we can maybe focus on the far more talented receiver option, that being Mo Alley-Cox. Now, Andrew, we are on to our favorite fantasy value pick. I think there's two here. I'm just going to read them. Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. How about that? We got two. Yeah, I think those are both the guys because, look, one of these guys is going to be the number one wide receiver. I, I think you and I both agree that it's not going to be T.Y. Hilton. I think, I think that we're on the same page there. I know that I've seen T.Y. Hilton, you know, get drafted, and I think that's fine if he gets drafted. But, I mean, he's absolutely buried on my rankings that I'm just telling people, like, straight up, like, don't draft him. Like, I, I just don't want him on my team. He's way past 
the age apex of when he's been really efficient. You know, last year was basically his worst year in terms of efficiency. And why would it get better? I just don't see it getting any better for so Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell really have opportunities to take over that wide receiver one chair. I think Pittman is probably safer bet as a more alpha wide receiver on the outside. Again, we saw him flash in the playoffs. So I think that he's probably the favorite, but I also like the value with Campbell a little bit later. And he really fits the mold of a yak receiver close to the line of scrimmage. And you can't ignore the nine targets he got in week one of last year. Yeah, another misconception of this offense. T.Y. Hilton hasn't been their starting slot receiver in a good four or five years. That was Paris Campbell in week one last year in like the one game we had where everybody was healthy. So Paris Campbell, love it. How many, it's you know, when I was uh I was looking at my rankings versus uh just ADP and I had Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers popping, not because I'm I didn't think I was that high in the guys, but they're starting wide receivers. I'm not going to rank, you know, 70 guys above legit starting one-two punch wide receivers. And that's exactly what Pittman and Campbell could be. So uh, Pittman's someone that, you know, I came down a little hard on last year. Uh, he had the big game against the Titans and the Packers, popular waiver signing. And it's just always been a crowded offense. And because of that and because of the nature, you know, him just kind of winning on some uncovered crossers from time to time, I never really got around on him as being, you know, a type of IU or CD or Jefferson level uh, rookie wide receiver. But you said it, man. That playoff game opened up my eyes a little bit more about what he could be capable of achieving. 101 total yards, and I think he did so a little bit more impressively than we had seen in the past. So big, fast dude in a pretty wide open offense. I wish it was more clear who's going to be the number one here, but that's why he's available as a wide receiver four in the first place. So yeah, you know, when you're going through, you know, drafting these wide receivers in double digit rounds, anytime you can find someone that at least is in a starting three wide receiver set might not be a bad dart throw. Andrew, what is your wild card scenario for this offense? What could go wrong-ish enough that people would be like, damn, that sucks, but maybe I should have seen that coming back in July. I think it's pretty obvious that Jonathan Taylor isn't this three down running. Oh, you don't all, say, you don't say <laughs> that just gets all the touches because that's not going to happen. Even when he was on that amazing stretch of, you know, the last half of the season when he was just ripping off big runs against all these crappy defenses, you never saw, you only, you only saw 70, 70% snap share once over 70, 70% of the offensive snaps played. So look, now he minds is going to be involved. Like that's just something you need to accept. And Again, Philip Rivers isn't there to pepper Jonathan Taylor with these targets because he is like the anti-Konami code quarterback, Philip Rivers. He will throw to the running backs at an unsustainable rate because he will not move whatsoever. Carson Wentz, I think you referenced it before on the podcast, he's got some juice with his legs. He moves way more than Philip Rivers has ever even dreamed of moving besides him not in the bedroom. That's where Philip Rivers really puts the moves on. But the thing with... So that's my concern with, with Jonathan Taylor is just, look, 17.7 touches per game last season. I think that raw total is probably more indicative of what he could actually see over the entire season as opposed to just kind of taking that last half of the year sample and be like, all right, this is what's going to be for all 17 games in 2021. I don't think that's the right approach. And look, will Marlon Mack be involved? I don't know necessarily, but what the track record of Frank Wright has told us up to this point is that it's not going to be just Jonathan Taylor and that Marlon Mack will be involved in some way, shape, or form, and Naeem Hines is going to be involved. So, again, at the top six running back, there are just so many other running backs I would prefer later in drafts. 
had Kevin Bowen on this podcast back in March. He was a fantastic guest. You can go on The Athletic and read Zach Kiefer's awesome uh, you know, article from the end of June kind of on some questions about the backfield. You can ask Frank Reich himself. Everyone will tell you. This is what we're telling you. Jonathan Taylor is the lead back for the Colts. Nobody is debating that, but when you look at the top 12, the top 15 fantasy running backs, you only see basically Jonathan Taylor as the one that is in a three-back committee, and it's just making things that much much harder. Yes, Taylor's going to lead the way, but Marlon Mack or Jordan Wilkins is going to have a small enough role that's just going to be annoying. And Taylor's going to be fine, but is he going to be a top five overall RB? I don't really think so. I think he's probably going to be closer to borderline RB1, which is fine. I just don't want to draft him as the top five, top six guy, which is where he's going. Under no circumstances, Naeem Hines losing his pass down role. Our best case scenario is Taylor eliminates the third running back, but I just don't know what that happened. Reich has notoriously been a guy that's happy to go with the hot hand approach. He said that again throughout this offseason. And again, the latest, uh, <laughs> this is why you need to read the articles, people, because I saw, you know, two weeks ago, uh, the artist formerly known as Roto World. They're sending out, you know, saying Frank Reich has said that, you know, Taylor earned the right to be the main guy. And you read the actual article, which I'm looking at right now, and Zach Kiefer's projections are Taylor 6% of the carries, Mack around 25%, Hines the rest. The pass down work is down. The offensive scoring upside seemingly down, unless Wentz really just balls out again. It's a lot of questions for a guy that we're taking in the first round of fantasy drafts. And early on, that's not when you want to take those type of risks. So Taylor, hey, I've been getting him. I've, I've had a couple of dynasty startups over the past few weeks and I keep winding up with Taylor. I, like, I, long term, I'm not against the guy. I just think this year in particular, uh, he deserves to be going more as a borderline RB1 compared to where he is going. But Andrew, how much time do we waste this offseason on Cam Akers versus Jonathan Taylor arguments, man? Like, my goodness. It's a shame we're not going to get to see that play out maybe uh, hopefully in 2022. Takes us right to the over-under, Andrew. It's set at 9.5. Where do you have them finishing over-under? I'm going to go with the under because I honestly don't understand why they're the favorite to win the division. I really don't. I, I will get into the next team that I, I think is. It's not the Jaguars. It's really not. It really is. It's, it's pretty obvious who I'm going to think is going to win. But, yeah, I don't agree with them being the, the favorite. I'm not really sure why I get it. Maybe it's because Arthur Smith's not in Tennessee anymore, and that's why the Colts are kind of getting the bump. But I think that when these teams play each other, I think the Titans are a better team. So I'm going to lean with them instead of the Colts. I, too, am rolling with the under. It's interesting because the Colts, and this is all via DraftKings Sportsbook, little arbitrage situation, I guess, but Colts are at 9.5 over under. The Titans are at 9, but the Titans are actually plus 110, the favorites to win the division. So take that uh, for what it's worth. And, yeah, I will be betting the under on the Colts. Just too many questions, man. Like, anytime, again, we've gone over the list of quarterbacks that changes teams Past first-round quarterbacks that change teams, you know, before playing there more than five years, it's not pretty. I think Wentz is looking at, you know, career tra trajectory where if he's able to kind of be like what Sam, like a non-injured version of Sam Bradford, that's kind of like the best-case scenario for this guy at this point. We can't. It's it's great that Carson Wentz showed he can play at a high level. Like we're taking Carson Wentz ahead of Sam Darnold because at least Wentz at one point in time has looked like a great professional quarterback, but. Assuming them to win the division and be this great team, miss me with that. Yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz was was subjectively the worst quarterback last year in football, and now he's on the team and they're supposed to win the division. Look, it's, yeah, it's too much. 
some might say madness. But hey, people, the good news is that fantasy football season is here. We are now offering 40% off any PFF subscription to all first-time subscribers with promo code SAVE40. Get access to PFF's fantasy football draft guide complete with our player rankings and projections, college football preview magazine, the first edition of the 2022 NFL draft guide, and all of PFF's locked article content. Again, that's promo code SAVE40 for 40% off any PFF subscription. Get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools for $5.99. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to our fans, friends, partners, whatever you want to call them, over at Fantrax. Fantrax is NFL Fantasy Football League Manager. is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing, to play, uh, gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. There's multi-team trades, player salary and contract options, bonus points for touchdowns with different yardage. You can customize your league settings however you want. So if you're like me, you don't ever want to even consider rostering or even looking at a kicker ever again, get them out of there. And guess what? If you're already you know, in a league like that, no worries, because if you're coming from another site that is no problem fantrax can import any of your current leagues sign up and play now at fantrax.com pff and wait for this people actually get a chance to win an autographed jersey from josh allen fantrax.com pff the home of fantasy sports go get that jersey from josh allen and andrew josh, josh allen is he the 102 in dynasty right now like super flex that's why i haven't ranked so yeah maybe <laughs> i was I just ranked. I don't disagree with it by any stretch. I was just uh, starting one up uh, yesterday. And I was like, wow, we're here. Like Josh Allen, 102 behind Patrick Mahomes and Superflex. It wasn't that long ago that we had to tell people to draft the guy last year. Crazy how much uh, 12 months can change things. But, Andrew, we still have two squads to go through on the AFC South. Moving right along, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars. What is your defining question for this squad ahead of 2021? Urban Meyer. What are you doing on offense, bruh? Like, yep. What is happening here with this offense? Is and he crazy? <laughs> is he crazy? And, and that's really the main question because we don't, we're, we're trying to pick, you know, look at his college history. We're looking at Daryl Bevel to try to get an idea of, all right, like what could this offense potentially look like? And from at least the research I've done, I think that we're going to look at a more balanced approach because I think that the, the team is going to try to be more competitive than they were last year. I mean, they weren't competitive at all last year. So that's why their pass attempts, first rushing attempts was so uneven because they were basically trailing in every single game but bevel has shown a tendency to rely on the run 11th in neutral game script run rate past two seasons but he's also shown the explosive downfield passing game which makes a lot of sense you run the ball you attack downfield so it's not necessarily a vol voluminous offense where we're going to see a ton of targets for all of these receivers but it's really more about making the offense efficient so i think that's one thing to kind of keep in mind with this attack and unfortunately that does mean that of the main guys that we're looking at, like somebody is definitely going to bust. Like that's the, th the fear with the Jaguars is because I don't necessarily see this team being above average in terms of total fantasy points, like scored like cumulatively. I don't necessarily see them being a super friendly offense for fantasy overall. So someone is going to bust from this offense. It's just trying to figuring out which player it's going to be. Let's go through Myers' uh, just list of kind of questionable moves, we'll call them, throughout this offseason. First, he hires former Iowa strength coach Chris Doyle, who re-signed less than 48 hours later. Then, when in offseason, they had so much cap room, all these high-round picks, 
Who do they add to the offense? We got career special teamer Jamal Agnew, 31-year-old wide receiver Marvin Jones, blocking tight end Chris Manhurts, Urban's old buddy Carlos Hyde. Urban was not done getting the band back together, though. I'd be appalled if I didn't mention. Tim Tebow is on this team, people. That's still a reality. We Thank God the media has chilled out a little bit about it, but I'm not. I'm beating the dead horse. Urban Meyer brought back Tim Tebow. Like That is the reddest flag of all red flags, and there is a non-zero chance that he is used in this weird Taysom Hill goal line role. Like That will probably happen if by some grace of God Tim Tebow makes the damn roster and now that takes us to arguably the biggest issue which we found out when Travis Etienne got uh, selected Urban wants to run his offense man Calling ETN slash, they're putting him in that Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel hybrid slot wide receiver RB type role, which I'm not even saying that he doesn't have the skill set to make that work, but I was really hoping Urban was coming to the NFL to be the CEO that he had turned into at Ohio State. He gave up play calling to Ryan Day before he was done at Ohio State because as great as his spread offense was when he developed it at Bowling Green, through Utah, through Florida, started to catch up at him. Running JT Barrett into the line 20 times a game worked when you had better talent than almost any other team in the country, but it started to catch up to him even at the end of the Ohio State tenure. Sounds like he wants to go all in on his offense at the NFL level, and I'm just concerned, Andrew. We're getting more reports about this Jaguars team wanting to be one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. Trevor Lawrence better be as generational as a lot of people think he is. Otherwise, I just see this offense not going anywhere too fast, at least in the year 2021, while all this is going together. I mean, it just reeks of almost like Cliff Kingsbury coming to the Cardinals, man. Like all these, you know, ideas that we're kind of feeling good about, but then maybe take a step back. It's like, hold on. Are we positive this guy is going to be sharp at the NFL level? Taking nothing away from what Urban did in college. Dude's a legend. Not sure he should be getting as much benefit of the doubt as seemingly he is, at least in Fantasyland. But Andrew, who is your most underutilized player on the Jaguars? I'm guessing it's your boy, Colin Johnson. No, it's not Colin Johnson. Oh, it's, it's the wow, fear, shots fired. It's the fear of underutilization for a one <laughs> LaVisca Chenault because oh. that's, the, that's really the missing factor here because i think from a talent perspective i think that chenault is the most talented receiver on the jaguars i i don't really think it's actually particularly close i think that if he were to receive the actual role of a featured player in this offense i think that he would be the most productive of the three wide receivers on the team again his pff receiving grade versus man coverage last year 84.6 was a an elite number puts him into an elite tier with other rookie receivers justin jefferson michael thomas odo beckham mike evans terry mclaurin aj brown and stefan diggs it was the same type of grade and that's really predictive because all those guys have turned into fantasy studs but if lavisca chanel doesn't get targets or is somehow like working behind jones and shark and etn in the terms of the targets then it doesn't matter how good he is because he can't score fantasy points on the bench it's just it's not going to happen so for me that's just one concern especially because i went in to get etn it looked like chanel had that type of role near the line of scrimmage set up that's not to say that chanel can't have another role like i just talked about him being really good against man coverage like he doesn't need to be pigeonholed into this low a dot role like Sure, he's good at it, but he's also good at being like a normal wide receiver as well. So that's just one thing. And again, I still like Chenault. He's still my highest ranked Jacksonville Jaguars receiver. But again, there's still that scenario where he's just not used enough. 
Yeah, our nightmare scenario is they walk out there week one. Tebow or Manhurts is at tight end. We got Robinson or Hyde in the backfield, Etienne the slot, and Jones and Shark out wide. That is on the table. I would hope not because every single report from Urban and everyone else is just gushing over Chenault. I don't understand why he can't just be the number one wide receiver on this team, even if that slash roll does seem like a pipe dream. Certainly a chance, though. I'm going to go with James Robinson and uh, wrote an article on this and had a fantasy file on it on Tuesday. I basically took top 36 running backs, ADP, and then I projected like where would they be ranked if we only looked at their volume. And I accounted for the difference in targets and carries. And James Robinson with an ADP, at least with our redraft source, and he's going lower on underdog, so it's not as egregious in best ball land, but at least in redraft, he's going still as a borderline RB2, like RB25 range. Maybe it's still just catching up from the draft and stuff, but again, just this volume-based study I was doing projected him as like the RB53, and it was by far the biggest difference out of anyone, and James Robinson is awesome, and I feel like every time you know we rank him this low and like he's my number one fade at running back this year, it's nothing to do with how well he can play it's just about the volume and it almost cracks me up like seeing people maybe like try to talk themselves out of Najee Harris because of like the Pittsburgh environment when we literally just saw how what volume can do for a guy that most of us didn't even know who he was before week one last season and like what was the 2020 Jaguars offense just this great situation for James Robinson to thrive in of course not the only reason he balled out because he had the third most touches behind Derrick Henry and Dalvin freaking Cook before he got injured so nothing wrong with James Robinson and he's probably gonna be underutilized because ETN's there and Carlos Hyde is there, people. But I'll get more to Carlos Hyde in our wild card scenario, a little foreshadowing, as the cool kids might call it there. Andrew, let's move on to your favorite fantasy value pick at the moment. I still like Trevor Lawrence a lot. Again, amid all of the concerns of the general offense, I think that people aren't looking enough at the potential upside. Look, he is in like the late round quarterback territory where you can start to take shots on some of these players. And Again, if Trey Lance and Justin Fields were like locked and loaded to start week one, yes, I would rank those guys higher than Trevor Lawrence, but they're not. So like that's something you have to kind of take into consideration where am I going to roster a second quarterback on my Rejaf roster for X amount of weeks? Like that's going to be a tough pill to swallow, especially when injuries happen, bye weeks happen. That might be tough for you to roster for your roster to handle. Whereas Trevor Lawrence, again, he plays the Houston Texans week one. We already talked about them. And that should be a legit week that you could start. You could literally start in week one and then trade him. Like, you could literally just trade him right after week one after he balls out against the Texans, which is not, like, hyperbole in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's not really that hard for for that kind of outcome to play out in week one. And I also think that his rushing is just super undervalued. You know, all we do is talk about this rushing quarterback and this rushing quarterback. You know, he was PFF's fourth-highest graded rusher in 2019. He averaged five rushing touchdowns per game per season in his past three seasons at Clemson. And, look, Ian, you know Urban Meyer likes to use his quarterbacks near the goal line. We've seen it with a ton of different players, JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, Tim Tebow. So I'm just hoping that they use Trevor Lawrence in that role and not necessarily Tim Tebow. Again, just another fear because this team does have a lot of potential red flags. I just do think that Trevor Lawrence has a lot of upside, especially if he is as advertised as this elite quarterback, as this elite prospect. And I just don't think that's really being baked into his ADP as like the quarterback 16. And I always see him falling in drafts and I'm not really sure I know why. 
Yeah, I guess I thought he was going to be closer to like this QB 18 to 20 range, which is where I liked him. He's 15, currently an underdog, and our redraft ADP is telling us he's QB 14. I just can't really get behind Lawrence over guys like, you know, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, even, you know, Baker Mayfield and stuff. I just feel like we've already seen it from them. The offensive surroundings are better, and I don't know. So the big, you know, the, the big question for Lawrence is going to be how much of that rushing upside carries over. He's he, – Checks the boxes of the best rookie quarterbacks we've seen. He's going to be a week one starter, and he averaged over 25 rushing yards per game at Clemson. If he wasn't over it, he was at like 24 and a half right there. But those were the two things we've seen from RG3, Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, Dak, Kyler. Uh, Herbert wasn't there, but, you know, we kind of saw that Oregon wasn't exactly using him to his talents. So all those guys that were so great as rookies, same, you know, at least uh, prospect build as Lawrence. And if he is anywhere close to as good as a lot of people think he is throwing the ball, he could could certainly cash in on that ADP. Lord knows the Jaguars defense doesn't look very good this year, so might just be able to get there on volume alone. But I'm fine for that, man. Let's pass the ball because if that happens, LaVisca Chenault is going to be a value where he's going, man. I understand the concerns, and it's funny. We're like just wrapping around the same players in different parts of the question here. That's how uncertain this Jaguars offense is. But when they're being priced down, when LaVisca, when even Chark, I mean, Chark's kind of being, I think he's more of like a mid-tier wide receiver three, but like someone is going to be a top 30 wide receiver out of this offense, I would guess. I feel like they all have equal chances. So Chenault, maybe even Marvin Jones, I'm starting to come down off my ageist uh, flag plant a little bit on him the more the offseason goes on. Maybe I shouldn't be. Marchian would be pissed off at myself right now. <laughs> we'll see, though. Marvin Jones, I mean, if we look at the target projections, they should probably be pretty similar for all three guys. And Jones is going, you know, a good 20, 30 picks afterwards so while he didn't look washed next year I do want to get out of you early I do think Marvin is someone where he's going to be a popular waiver ad in week two after we see him playing every single snap probably week one so just something to keep an eye on there if Lawrence can be as good as we're hoping and just not be stuck in this run first offense uh, these receivers are going to be values at their current ADP Andrew, I'm going right here in the wild card scenario. I think there's a shot. Carlos Hyde has over 100 carries, and people will just be infuriated because when remember what happened when ETN got drafted, and the big takeaway was, oh, Urban Meyer called him their third down back, and then he called him slash. Well, my big takeaway from that third down back quote was saying, we got James Robinson and Carlos Hyde as our one-two punch. Like, I understand the year 2021, James Robinson is far better than Carlos Hyde, but that doesn't mean Carlos Hyde is just this nobody that isn't going to be able to siphon away some carries. On the Seahawks last year, this dude had 81 rush attempts. Uh, Nell was able to average a decent enough 4.4 yards per carry. Same average as the previous year in Houston when he had 245 rush attempts. The Browns were using him before that. The Jaguars had him even before they have him now again. Obviously, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan even fed the guy 88 targets in 2017 which, you know, is just hysterical to go back and look at. But Carlos Hyde is basically becoming this millennial Frank Gore guy where, like, we don't want him to be there because we want all the fantasy touches for the running backs we're actually going to roster. But similar to Marlon Mack, similar to Jordan Wilkins in the Colts scenario we were just talking about, we need to consider when these veterans are going to have a role because even if it's small, it's going to stop guys from ET, like ETN Robinson from truly reaching their heights. Yeah, I keep seeing Carlos Hyde on the waiver wire in my dynasty leagues, and I'm just like, should I just like pick this guy up? Like he's gonna, he's gonna like get ten carries a game or something. It feels so like, wrong. I get it, but you I'm can imagine. Like, I'm looking at my barren boned RB depth chart that has like Miles Gaskin as my like locked and loaded RB one, and David Johnson as my RB two. I'm like, all right, Carlos Hyde, like potential fill in here. So yeah, I think that's a really good wild card. Mine is Colin Johnson. 
dethroning DJ Chark on the Ooh. outside as the prototypical X receiver. And again, kind of adding more fuel to the LaVisca Chenault kind of hype train. So look, just with Chark and Marvin Jones specifically, they just haven't been guys that have been targeted at a high rate. Like on a, a per route basis, they've never really been target hogs, which is why we think that Chenault has an opportunity to kind of fill in that role. Last year, of 50 qualifying receivers with at least 95 targets, DJ Chark was 49th in target rate per route run. Marvin Jones was 50th in target rate per out run. So that's just kind of opening the window. I was like, okay, like they need an alpha in this offense to step up. So I do think Chenault can fill in that. But in this wild card scenario, I do think Colin Johnson has an opportunity to build a, a role on the outside. He's six foot six. He's absolutely massive. He, uh, we've heard Urban Meyer talk about wanting a really big physical wide receiver on the outside, and that's what Colin Johnson can offer. Again, if they don't end up using Tebow, Tebow gets cut or whatever. If, if one of those scenarios plays out, they also don't really have a tight end. So if they're just looking for some big guy to catch passes in the red zone, in the end zone, Colin Johns kind of fits the build as that type of player. Yeah, Bengals, maybe take a you know note from that and use my guy Auden Tate over your freaking Uzoma coming back from a you know, torn Achilles. But we'll keep working on that uh, pronunciation. Andrew, we got an over-under for the Jaguars of six and a half. Are you with me on the under? No, I'm thinking we're gonna go over. Oh, gonna go over the the track record of college coaches. In their first year has actually been really good. So that's just one thing that's kind of worked in their favor is just winning games, not necessarily because of which way or, or how they do it. They just kind of win games, and they get to play the, the Texans twice. So I think that that gives them two wins <laughs> right off the bat. So they only need you know five more wins to to hit it. So yeah, I think that Trevor Lawrence is gonna be able to do enough to help them win a couple games. They also were really bad in one-score games last year, too. So I think just having a quarterback that has the ability to just win games, like he's a winning quarterback. So I think that will help them get over six and a half. I would take the under, but with that said, out of these four, this would be my least confident one. I would probably just advise to stay away, but we'll see. I mean, there's a scenario. I don't think they can win the division per se, but they could at least make if, – again, if Lawrence is as good as many think, I feel like this is the fifth time I've said this in the Jaguars breakdown, but we, we've seen quarterbacks like Justin Herbert last year. Like, if you're that good as a rookie, you can elevate everyone else, even with some incompetent coaching going on in the background. We have reached our fourth team, Andrew. That is the Tennessee Titans, who, as if you haven't figured out now, both of us believe will be capturing this division crown, doing big things again. Last year, I mean, they just stood out with the Raiders and the Vikings as the two teams, as the three teams, excuse me, that could score on anybody, but their defense just continuously let them down time and time again. I mean, the difference between just their, you know, scoring offense and scoring defense, absolutely huge. Overall, the fourth-ranked scoring offense, 24th-ranked scoring defense. They've added some pieces on uh, defense. I didn't realize until this second when I pull up their depth chart that Janoris Jenkins is now in Tennessee to provide some help at corner. Also drafted Caleb Farley in the first round. Still, you know, pretty unsure pass rush, but as we like to say at PFF, coverage does tend to outweigh the pass rush. So maybe, just maybe, the artist formerly known as Jack Rabbit helps them out. Farley improves and we get at least a league average defense. But whatever, we'll worry about that for a later day. For now, Andrew, what is your defining question about this Titans offense? Will the offense be just as efficient without Arthur Smith? And I think that kind of goes into where Vegas has them pinned. You know, they're, I think they're overvaluing the Colts a little bit because of Frank Reich, and they're overvaluing or undervaluing the Titans because they don't have Arthur Smith anymore. So, again, coaches don't play. Like, that's the big thing for me. It's like Ryan Tannehill has been arguably the most efficient quarterback over the past two seasons, and you're betting on, or Vegas is betting that. Carson Wentz-led team is going to be better than Ryan Tannehill's-led team. Again, maybe Ryan, T Ryan Tannehill's just a good quarterback at this point. Like, I don't know what else he has to prove to show people that he's not the same guy that was in Miami. Like, he has 
matured in his he's a top 10 guy for me so the thing with todd downing as who's now taking over as the oc i think people forget okay 2015 he earned pff's astute quarterback coach of the year accolade which i looked up uh for Derek carr in 2015 for helping Carr ascend to a franchise quarterback from a rookie very underrated about todd downing and he actually uses a lot more 11 personnel so in his one year as the offensive coordinator with the Raiders, he used 11 personnel and 72% of the team's snaps, which Arthur Smith didn't use at all last year. Arthur Smith was like really more about using two two tight ends most of the time. And I don't know if we're going to see that again from the Titans, considering they haven't really replaced any of the Titans they lost. Like they have the Ferk daddy there, Anthony Ferkser, as a glorified slot receiver, but they never really re- replaced Johnny Smith, Michael Pruitt. They didn't really go looking to replace those guys. They only actually added Josh Reynolds and Julio Jones. So for me, that's kind of telling me, I think we're going to see more three wide receiver sets from this offense. And that's really where Ryan Tannehill has been pretty freaking good. Passer rating 107.8 ranks first in 11 personnel and his air yards percentage ranks second since 2019 from 11 personnel. So again, and it's actually what's amazing about it is he actually used play action less on his 11 personnel snaps versus 12 personnel. So again, I know Tannehill, the big question is, are they going to use as much play action with Todd Down versus with Arthur Smith? And I honestly don't think it really matters because I think that Ryan Tannehill showed that he's an efficient quarterback with 11 personnel, with play action, without play action, because he's just a good quarterback at this point. I think we just need to kind of accept that and stop trying to find excuses of, you know, giving credit to somebody else when he's really making all the plays out there. Yeah, I mean, look, nothing against Arthur Smith, but I don't like. Why are we just assuming this offense has to look so drastically different last next year? I mean, I think they could very well basically just use Arthur Smith's playbook and you know just (laughs) you know make some small changes based on their personnel and stuff. I don't think we just need to, you know, yeah, like you're saying, everyone's so shocked Ryan Tannehill is good now. We just won't give that guy credit. (laughs) Got to assume it was from the coach. Uh, Good points all around. I want to talk about this assumption that Derrick Henry is going to just be this victim of a big fall off because of his workload last year. I see this study thrown around a lot, and we need to realize, people, football in 2020 and 2021 is quite a bit different than it was when we're trying to take all these studies about like high usage running backs. I mean, since 2000, there's been 24 running backs have at least 350 carries, which seems to be the number I see uh, float around a lot. Only 2020 Derrick Henry, 2014 DeMarco Murray, and 2012 Arian Foster have done that in the last 10 years. They don't give these running backs that big of workloads anymore. And even with those guys, like, yeah, Murray busted the next year on the Eagles because they were using a three-back committee in, like, the last year of Chip Kelly's uh, shtick that he was trying to do. And then he actually had a really good year back in the Titans. Arian Foster, yeah, he got hurt after eight games in 2013, had an awesome year in 2014. Like, it just seems like we're looking for rather arbitrary ways to assume that this guy is going to fall off when how come it's a concern for Derrick Henry but everybody is drinking the bounce back Ezekiel Elliott Kool-Aid when Zeke has 396 additional touches than Henry since they both entered the NFL. I mean, how come we didn't fade Henry last year because we didn't include his... uh that high school year where we had like 440 rushes at the end of senior year. It just seems like another one of these things, similar to injury-prone uh, Twitter, it's one of these things where we're penalizing Henry for something that we're almost just not even giving any sort of attention to with other running backs. I know he had a ton of carries last year, but the guy has been nothing short of, you know, just a super sane in terms of being able to stay healthy on the field. Like, he's the only running back I've seen, like, play through hamstring injuries and still be successful doing so. You can't get this guy off the field. He's facing 
facing defenses that are smaller than ever, and he's on the team that's willing to give him the ball more than just about anybody. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see anyone really ranking Henry outside the top five, but we'll just be careful before you kind of hold that workload argument against him because now we're just getting into such a small sample size for guys that have even had this level of workload anyway in the past few years. Andrew, most underutilized player, and come on, there's only one answer. It's A.J. freaking Brown. Yes, A.J. Yeah. Brown. We wanted him to get all the targets this year, but alas, we're going to have to wait till Julio Jones either retires or something else happens with his contract. But that doesn't mean you need to be out on A.J. Brown at all whatsoever. Again, I think that the discount of him now going in round three as opposed to round two, I think is more than worth the price of admission because he's going to be so efficient this year. I, I don't know. He's going to break the yards per route run. He's going to break all of these metrics because that's what we saw Calvin Ridley do with Julio Jones on the field. Calvin Ridley averaged more fantasy points per game with Julio Jones playing 23.3 versus 19.8 last year. And when defenses played man coverage on Ridley last year, when Julio Jones was also on the field, he was basically unstoppable. Perfect passer rating generated and 3.3 yards per route run for Calvin Ridley when Julio Jones was lined up on the field at the same time. So, look, defenses every single week are going to have to figure out, all right, well, like who are we going to try to stop this week, A.J. Brown or Julio Jones? And more often than not, they're not going to be able to stop both of them. So, again, maybe A.J. Brown has a couple more down games because of just the inconsistency with targets and potentially a run-first offense. But at the same time, those boom weeks are going to be freaking massive. You're going to love that you drafted him because he's going to put up 30, 40 point weeks, you know, every once in a while. So I'm excited. I loved your quote from earlier this offseason. Julio Jones what was it Julio Jones and AJ Brown is like Batman and Batman. Yeah. The, so they're Batman and Robin, except they're both Batman. <laughs> We got PFF Lily barking upstairs. She loves that uh, quote as well. Basically, people, here's my go-to volume style with A.J. Brown. He has six career games with more than eight targets. Only six, which is just sad in and of itself. In those games, 10 catches, 151 yards, touchdown. Eight catches, 114 yards, touchdown. Seven catches, 112 yards, touchdown. Four catches, 101 yards, touchdown. Six catches, 83 yards, touchdown. Seven catches, 82 yards, touchdown. The guy doesn't miss. You know who else really hasn't missed in games with more than eight targets? Calvin Ridley. Great comp. Wide receiver one, maybe not the wide receiver one. We all know he can be still a wide receiver one. Andrew, favorite fantasy value pick. And why is it Anthony Ferkser, who, oh my goodness, I cannot get enough of these days. It's not Anthony Ferkser. Come on, it's, it should it's, be. It's, it's Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones Fair. is still a good value. I think that, again, he's going later than A.J. Brown because we assume that A.J. Brown will be the number one in that offense. But, again, Julio Jones is... He's a little bit older, but he's still an alpha wide receiver. And last year, he didn't really show any signs of slowing down besides the games that he missed. He was fourth in yards per route run. A.J. Brown, I think, was third. He averaged 19 fantasy points and and over 100 receiving yards per game in the seven games he played with at least a 75% snap share. So I think there's still plenty of volume to go around in this offense. You know, the Titans are ranked second in vacated air yards from last season, third in vacated targets. So, again, there's still a massive hole in this offense that they still never really replaced with again, Jones will take on some of Corey Davis's targets that he had from last year, but they still never really replaced John Smith. So again, even if this offense isn't super pass heavy, it doesn't matter because Julio Jones has been getting it done through efficiency anyway. And look, one thing, you know, credit to Todd Downing, looking back at his history with the Raiders, the one thing that he did was he orchestrated an offense most of the time with two top wide receivers. Those receivers being Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. So those were the, the pairing of receivers that he was with 
for three years, two as a quarterback's coach, and then one as the offensive coordinator. And that pairing averaged a 45% target share. So I think that we're really just going to see a condensed target share. It's going to be A.J. Brown. It's going to be Julio Jones, you know, almost getting 50% of the total targets in this offense. And that's going to make them both really good players. And I think that because people are still trying to figure out how they kind of fall in their roles in the target pecking order, they're available in round three, round four, which I think makes them values. Even when Julio was still in Atlanta, he's been, you know, a good value throughout the entire offseason. I've gotten a ton of him in best ball, happy to continue doing so. Now to the main event, people. Anthony Ferkser, my goodness. <laughs> Favorite value right now at tight end. The government does not want you to know that Anthony Ferkser is the Titans' starting slot receiver. Lost amongst the Julio Jones hoopla is the reality. They did not replace two guys from the starting offense last year. Jonu Smith and Adam Humphreys. So there is still plenty of room for Anthony Ferkser to absolutely eat. He's my tight end 13 right now. I'm tempted to move him above our guy Adam Troutman. That's how serious I'm taking this, Andrew. Yeah, I know. We're getting crazy today. We're getting crazy today. But I was looking at a study because I almost wanted wanted to, you know, I usually enter a study with an idea in mind that kind of sparked it. But then, you know, we'll see. We'll see what those numbers say and I'll adjust it accordingly. So I want to kind of prove why Mike Jasicki isn't going to have a huge role next year because so much of it is just targets come out of slaughter out wide. So I took, there's 26 tight ends, at least 50 targets last year. I looked at who's getting targets in the slot or uh, as an inline tight end because, you know, change in offense, change in teammates. The guys that play wide receiver more would obviously be potentially more impacted by a team uh, adding more receivers to the equation. So with that said, we had 12 tight ends, high usage tight ends, spent at least 60% of their targets in the slot or out wide. Ten of these guys, Evan Ingram, Jimmy Graham, Eifert, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, Jasicki, Logan Thomas, Jared Cook, uh, even Hunter Henry and Dalton Schultz. There's uh, someone coming back. They're in a new offense. There's new receivers added to the equation. There's enough issues to wonder, like, okay, are they actually going to have these massive roles again going into next year? The only two that I think qualify as not having that, Travis Kelsey. I don't think we need to talk about why he's the overall tight end one. And Anthony freaking Ferkser. Over 80% of his targets came to slaughter out wide last year. He led the Titans in targets from the slot with 40. Humphreys was the second with 25. We can legit see this guy push for 80, 90 targets in one of the most efficient passing games as they're basically starting slot receivers. So one of the issues I have with Ferkser kind of going in just and studying it more was the fact that he wasn't this every down tight end and that's okay he wasn't an every down tight end because they had because he's not a tight end he's a slot receiver and now the slot receiver's gone so Ferkser I think is someone where you can get and it's still like an ADP over tight end 20 a lot of people were on him before the Julio Jones trade now they're getting off him when in reality the Titans still haven't replaced either of the spots at tight end or slot that we should be expecting him to get most of his production so draft Anthony Berkshire in 2021, people, you will not be sorry. Andrew, what's your wild card scenario? I, I'm feeling hype after that one, man. They better use that video for the old Twitter thing. Don't be giving us any Jaguars BS. <laughs> no Jaguars BS. But just one thing on Ferkser as well. Again, quoting back to Todd Downing's Raiders, the one thing he did right in 2017 when he was the offensive coordinator was using Jared Cook in the slot. Jared Cook finished second in routes in the slot. So, again, I can definitely get behind Ferkser as a – Love it. A great slot receiver option at the tight end position. My wild card is if something happens to Derrick Henry and this offense kind of has to take a different shape and it has to rely really more on Ryan Tannehill actually throwing the ball more than 400 times or 500 times in a season where it's like, okay, now we're seeing consistency with double-digit targets with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And again, that's potentially in the cards. Again, Derrick Henry, you never want to bet on this against this guy because it's been a 
losing bet the past two or three seasons because he just continues to rush for more yards and he, it seems like it's impossible but now he has an extra game so it's like well he could rush for more yards again next year again probably not gonna happen but I wouldn't bet against Derrick Henry. I guess the one player I want to highlight here is just is Darrington Evans. Again, he's someone I think that to still monitor. Again, the Titans brought in Brian Hill as another potential backup, but we've been down the Brian Hill experiment many a times in DFS, and it just hasn't it hasn't really panned out very well for anyone that's played him because he just I don't I, I don't think he's got it. And whereas Darrington Evans, look, he got banged up last year, so he's kind of lost some of the shine he had as a third round pick. So he has a decent amount of draft capital, and he's explosive. He has three, a three-down skill set. So I would envision that he would get the majority of carries if a Derrick Henry injury happened. Again, I don't think that this is him being 25 carries a game, but what he lacks in terms of that type of carry volume, I think that they would probably actually throw him the ball a little bit more. He's got home run hitting ability. So again, I don't think you should just totally write off Darrington Evans again. Injuries happen. It's really weird, but... This is a backup running back that not a lot of people are talking about. I think it's worth a late round pick or someone to stash. One of the most infamous reports from last offseason came on August 31st. Peter King's always fantastic football morning in America cited a Titans source stating third round rookie RB Darrington Evans, quote, has a chance to be a poor man's Alvin Kamara. We didn't see that happen, but you said it, man. He had a hamstring injury to start the year, and now we're getting more, you know, typical token offseason coach speak saying Evans is getting more work as a wide receiver. But yeah, I think the big uh, takeaway, if something does happen to Derrick Henry, I think Evans could, you know, slide in as, like, it'd be more of like a, you know, I know we won't talk too much Daryl Henderson in this episode, but I know you're more on the RB1 train with that. I'm more RB2, but... You know, not every handcuff is created equal. I'm not saying Evans would necessarily be this, you know, locked in top five RB like, you know, a Tony Pollard or an Alexander Madison might be if their guys go down. But the fact that he already has the pass down, you know, the, the catching part of it uh, in his, uh, you know, tool belt, I think does help him more than, you know, guys like Jerry McNichols, guys like Brian Hill, other potential guys. Because, I mean, they won't give Derrick Henry a featured role, um, like every, every down role. I'm assuming they wouldn't give one to Evans, but at least he can do the pass down stuff, and that's all we can ask for. But, yeah, man. And that's why Ryan Tannehill, it's, it's, it sucks he's finally creeped up in the top 12 in fantasy land. But, I mean, building, you know, we get A.J. Brown in round two of these best ball drafts. And then we get Tannehill in round 10, Ferkser later. It was one of the easiest and, I think, most high upside stacks you could make back in the day. And by back in the day, I mean, like, three months ago. So, <laughs> got to love uh, this offseason. Quick note, though, as I was looking through this depth chart, backup quarterbacks for the Titans right now. Logan Woodside, former AAF All-Star. Not really. I didn't think he was good in the AAF. And none other than Deshaun Kaiser. So, my goodness, people. I'm, you know, if I get to my backup QB rankings, uh, not going to be looking too good for the Titans. Maybe not Los Angeles Rams bad uh, category. I, I forget who they got there. Maybe Skelton still. But either way, you know, injury to Derrick Henry, not good. Injury to Tannehill, potentially just ruining this entire team's season, which is wild to think of. You know, you could lose the 2,000 rushing yard running back and be far more okay than the quarterback that many people wrote off for dead as recently as two years ago. Angela, let's quickly go through. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. We have an over-under first. Over nine wins. Over. Yeah, easy. I'm, I'm taking the quarterback that has the best passer rating better than Patrick Mahomes over the past two seasons to lead my team to win the division as opposed to Carson Wentz. Sorry. It's my process. S sorry, not sorry. That's my <laughs> process. We got to get some, I think Mike Vrabel, I mean, I'm not saying people hate on Vrabel, but man, nine and seven, nine and seven, 11 and five. And we're giving this dude a nine over under. He's hit that every single year, it's, it's people. It's the Arthur Smith thing. Like people are just so fixated on him not being there that the fact that he's not even the head coach and it's just, it's, I think it's being overblown. 
I just love the way the Titans play. I mean, before those Ravens games and they were stomping around on the field, I just, you know, it's, and I, I don't want to get too football guy on here. I know we're always trying to, you know, back things up with numbers, but I feel like the Titans just play harder than a lot of teams. They play like table. Titans. That's <laughs> what they do. That's the word you're looking for. <laughs> just remember when the Titans had a nine over under and you pounded it in July 20 in July 2021 and made all that money to uh, set you up. I absolutely love it. Okay, divisional fantasy MVPs. Who do you see being the highest scoring quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, Andrew? So I've got Tannehill at quarterback, running back, Derrick Henry, wide receiver, A.J. Brown. So it's all Titans players basically across the board. And then tight end was tough, but got to go to my guy, Jordan Akins. No! Over Ferks, are you high? Hey, man, Jordan Akins could be the number one target on his offense. It's not happening with Ferkser. I'll bet you a steak dinner that Anthony Ferkser outscores Jordan Akins. And I'll even give you, because I feel like that's you're getting the worst end of that. Um, outscores him by at least 25 PPR points. Total? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. All right. Virtual, virtual handshake. Anthony Ferkser, 25-plus PPR points over Jordan Aikens. Heard it here first. I don't give a crap about Aikens' baseball background. He's he's not touching he's not touching ASAP Ferk, aka Ferk Daddy. We're going all the way with Anthony Ferkser this season, everybody. Andrew, the odds for the division. We got Tennessee at plus one ten, India at plus one fifteen, Jaguars plus seven hundred, and Houston plus twenty eight hundred. Which one do you like? I think that I mean if I was doing the long shot one, I think I, I would actually entertain the Jags. Just just then yeah. at the chance that Trevor Lawrence just friggin' takes the lead by storm but i'm gonna still take the the titans i got the titans too i'd almost yeah i'd rather bet the jaguars at plus 700 than take you know their over under on the wins so good stuff there all right everybody that is going to wrap up this episode of the pff fantasy football podcast before we leave i want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor underdog fantasy if you like fantasy football if you like playing fantasy for money you need to check out underdog fantasy underdog's got everything including season long and playoff best ball best ball is a season long game we draft a team like you normally do but that's it there's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Andrew, great work as always. What do you got going on at PFF.com this week? Just doing more of the team previews. I'm going through all the divisions. I've done kind of I've done the ones that we've talked about here on the podcast. I know I'm working on the AFC West doing some of those so Raiders and Chargers are coming out this week along with the Chiefs and the Denver Broncos give some Drew Locke love on that yeah. and I also have my ADP verse uh, or ADP values yeah. coming out as well so I'll look at the ADPs and see where versus my ranks which players I think are the best values as we always say, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. That's all we're trying to do with those ranks. Make sure you check out Andrew's always great team preview series, and we'll continue to chat up about it here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be doing these Wednesday and Friday until we finish it up. So, you know, thinking in my head that'll be, what, another three or four weeks should take us right into the thick of preseason ball. Where we'll start to analyze first-team snap rates, start to highlight some of the best fourth-quarter performances. I cannot wait. I plan on watching every single preseason game and just just, you know, really get into the bottom of that. It's been a long time since we got the preseason DFS. I'm just, I wake up every single day and just hope to see that Chad Kelly has been signed by somebody. Hasn't happened so far, Andrew. It's disappointing. Hey, man, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Tim Tebow got signed to a team. So, like, I, I mean, anything can happen. How does Tim Tebow have a job <laughs> and swag freaking Kelly it's doesn't? It's, I, okay, well, well the, thing, the problem is he hasn't switched to tight end yet. You see all these guys are just, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, 
Jordan Brand- Matthews. Oh. <laughs> Jordan Matthews like, oh, man, I'll just switch to tight end. There we go. Colvin Benjamin. Give my guy Dez a shot, man. Don't be over any of these dudes as a tight end. Get out of here. Dez is still working his wide receiver fades every day. I love it. Just mossing <laughs> just mossing some grocery store baggers and stuff like that down there in Texas. I can't wait for his documentary, though. You see that? Oh, yeah. He's doing the, um, the, the catch that yep. they called back, right? Yep. That time he caught it. The only problem with that game and... You know, it, it is true. Even if Dez catches that, which, okay, he did catch it. Even though Dez caught it and they mistakenly ruled it wasn't a catch, like Aaron Rodgers still had five minutes. He went right down the field anyway. He was going to score just a more back-breaking touchdown than it already was against the Cowboys. So, sorry, people. Just don't, you know, don't don't hate the uh, messenger. Just hate the message, I guess. I don't know. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. He's Andrew. I'm Ian Harris. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care.